Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. This is Chris Pivey. <laughs> I'm Eddie Webb. Welcome to John Willis. So I was super excited about Strange New World, so much so that I even flubbed the intro that I said, hey, Eddie, let's do this. I know we're supposed to do another episode. I'm not going to say what. So then you're forever questioning when we decide to do this episode in the middle of our recordings. Right. And Eddie begrudgingly said, I hate Star Trek. Why are you making me do this? And I said, because we get to drink coffee together. And that one day. Except I hate coffee. So (laughs) I hate coffee more than Star Trek. (laughs) um but no i mean honestly uh uh what what really happened was we both can squeed about this in in discord we should talk about this um so yeah we decided we're just gonna break this up a little bit i think folks already kind of if you listen to the first season you already know my opinions about pike versus kirk Mm -hmm. and as a fan of discovery watching discovery then pike and Spock showing up in Discovery was a nice little weird tangent for the show, but it had a great sort of boost of morale for the crew is probably the best way to put it. And mm-hmm. I was really engaged because I followed Anson Mount since Hel- um, Helen Wheels, which is like is another great show that he's in. I unfortunately watched the first episode of The Inhumans. That was a mistake on my part. Oh, no. I, I, will, I will not blame Anson for that one. But the chance to see Pike actually visualize in a series and liking what Anton Mount did before in discovery. I wanted to talk about the show mm-hmm. and Absolutely. that's why we're doing it. Now I'm curious um, because uh, I'm trying to remember the, the timing of all of this. You had seen Pike on discovery before we talked about the cage on this show, right? Yes. Did that portrayal influenced your like of the cage or do you feel like the, your opinion of the cage would have held regardless of that? My opinion of the cage would have held regardless because the pike that we saw in discovery was different than the pike that we saw in the cage. Okay. The pike from discovery was a little bit more upbeat, almost like he hadn't sort of hit that weirdness point yet. It was bits of it was there, but he was very good with the people he was always giving like the rousing speeches. It was like together we can do this thing. And that was somewhat different than what I saw with Pike from the original pilot where Pike was already worn down. He was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And that sort of version of Pike is actually reflected in the first episode of strange new worlds when he is, when we first start the show. Mm-hmm. So for, for context of the conversation for listeners, um, I have not watched season two of Discovery yet. Uh, I just finished season one like yesterday. Uh, so I went into Strange New Worlds more or less without any context. I mean, I knew Spike show up, showed up. I knew some of the beats because the internet exists and you can't be in internet without spoilers. Uh, and when I, said, when I did research for our first season, I naturally came across some of those. So I wasn't like completely unknowing going into it, but 
I, I'm with you that when I, when I, the pike I saw on Strange New Worlds felt very much like the pike I saw in the cage. And I guess before we really get into the nuts and bolts of that, sure. I do want to talk a little bit about the opening intro of the show itself and how it sort of highlights the Enterprise. I mm-hmm. think that is the perfect amount of camera panning that the Enterprise should have. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a jab at Star Trek The Motion Picture, but that 30 <laughs> seconds is about all we need. And you don't need five off, minutes of the Enterprise? It's 40 minutes. I, I know it's 40 minutes. <laughs> But to it top off like that it. thirty seconds, the uh, the fact that it ends with a a the more you know sort of opening where the ship sort of shoots over is a shout out then to Jordy from Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And I, I dug the um, uh, like the theme is kind of a, a remix of the original uh, theme. It was um, and even the whole like the enterprise shooting through space and going by planets that that's very classic. It felt like an update of the original show uh, in a way that other treks haven't quite like, like discovery, their intros kind of understandably um, draws inspiration from like enterprise and kind of is, is, is visually trying to doing a bridge between enterprise, which is a very different kind of intro to classic star trek and this is definitely pushing you know closer towards that is like if you put this in front of an og star trek episode it'll go oh, okay it's just a cool cgi version of that same intro which could be one of the reasons that it resonated so well with me because i think i've already established that i love sort of the 70s sci-fi and mm-hmm. it's of the 60s are close enough that that really sort of like jumps out and sparks mm-hmm. and actually the um uh, I'm not going into the, the plot yet, but just kind of the, the, like the bridge of the enterprise and the tech. Uh, uh, it was an interesting synthesis of the classic sixties technology and modern ways of presenting sci-fi and television. Uh, it's, Cause like I was, I was excited when I saw the big chunky tricorder, for example, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm like, this makes no sense based on where our technology is going but it was cool to see it. And they, they did little things um, to kind of make that seem more advanced than the original model was. But still, like, you know, having that big honking device was, was just really cool to see. Because, again, like, like you, I love that kind of uh, uh, every device has one use and it's kind of chunky aesthetic. <laughs> this is the wrench and that's all it does. This is the, the phone. It only does one thing, which is call people. That's so weird. Since you mentioned tech, and before we get, I guess, into like the plot of the episode, what do you think is going to happen if we sort of keep an idea of the 60s and how transporters and all that tech was used compared to how they were used in the new pilot, where there is a, the transporters seem to be a lot more efficient and effective, able to do things the other ones weren't able to do. And then there was a transporter in the medical bay. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that, though? So, um... I think I think back to things like Doctor Who as an example of this, because um, Doctor Who kind of has a similar route, right? Which is the a lot of time passed, and they rebooted for modern sensibilities, um, and I think you have to kind of end up walking a, a balancing act of making a nod towards the things that exist the way they did, while also just accepting that things are, are different now, and we're not going to bother to explain it. Um, so. 
we as viewers have had, what, 60 years of Star Trek knowledge. So we have seen the transporter evolve and change over time. To roll that back would feel weird to modern audiences, even though timeline-wise that makes sense. We have seen too much transporter nonsense to be able to go, oh, well, the transporter doesn't work that way now. So I think they just have to kind of go, okay, transporters work this way. They've always worked this way. For some reason, the Enterprise just never did this. Um, it does raise the question of why the pads even exist, but they exist because they've always existed. And you get this kind of tautology of they were there. They had a specific reason or specific purpose. That purpose is gone now, but they're still there because they've always been there. Um, it didn't bother me. I know there are absolutely our Star Trek fans right now who are shaking their fist and going, but the canon, and I just do not care. <laughs> it's cool. My, it fits the aesthetic. I'm happy with it. My my game design reason for the pads being there is it gives a bonus to the role of the transporter chief. That would be like, my uh, kind of logic too. So game, gamers, there you go. For your Star Trek games, they use the pad. They get like a plus 20% or they get an extra die roll. No pad, no bonus. <laughs> and it's actually funny um, because um, I did get into a side conversation with someone uh, who like they, they thought it was strange. Like the um, transporter sliders are still the physical sliders. And they're like, why isn't that just a touch screen? And I'm like, you know what? There was a period from about 2001 to about 2015 where I would be like, absolutely, that makes no sense. But now it's like having done a lot of touch enabled devices, I have had my iPad or tablet freeze up so many times. They're like, you know, give me just a physical button to push. <laughs> so I can totally see now some of the more kind of why is there physical buttons or levers here is like because technology, touch screens and stuff just, just break or freeze up. So, but this will always work. So it's like actually the retroness actually makes sense to me in that respect, especially when you just came off of a huge war with Klingons. Since this is our first kind of episode like this, I want to give a new sort of breakdown of what I'm thinking, how we're going to do it, which okay. means by next episode, if we do another one, it'll be totally different. Um, sure. I'm, I'm cool with that. We'll give a high, le like a high level plot overview, and then we'll just sort of discuss different parts of it as they kind of come to us. Cause we're pretty much riffing on this one. I think more than most of the episodes we've done so far. Ross only Hard to believe. One, so. Hard to believe, I know, but it happens. Yeah, I know, right? So okay. high level. High, high level. Um, the episode starts more or less with a great narration overview that talks about first encounters. And then you sort of spin into the planet itself and you see that it's actually humanity making the first encounters with a new alien race. And then mm. they sort of cut back to Pike and you get a little glimpse of Pike's life as it is right now after Discovery. How he's mm -hmm. sort of like somewhat war torn, and they're also showing on the TV screen. I, I said I was going to go high level. Look at me going into more detail. Um, the day the Earth stood still, which is kind of perfect because I think the director of the day the Earth stood still was also one of a director for I want to say Star Trek the motion picture. I think. Oh, interesting. But I haven't had time to fully look into that. Not only mm -hmm. that, but the movie itself is a perfect reflection of the episode we're about to discuss. Well, absolutely. And then it has. Pike being recruited back to take command of the Enterprise because his number one has been captured on a first contact. Well, the first contact went wrong and you get a chance to meet the new crew as they go through and it has all the different beats of meeting the crew. You find out different friendships and relationships and they get to the planet 
then you have the new the temporary number one spock and pike go undercover to try to infiltrate the planet without sending them off because of general order one mm-hmm. then they discover number one and number one's crew they sort of rescue them but then you have the planet itself that has been at war and they created a warp bomb instead of creating like a warp drive right and you have what i think star trek really boils down to is making hard ethical choices about what they should and shouldn't do and pike more or less offering these people that are below what the federation considers standard to be welcomed into the federation to mm-hmm. welcome into the federation mm-hmm. that is the the briefest overview i can give you right and, and the first thing that jumps out at me is this goes back to when we were talking about both star trek and deep space nine i have made the comment that peak star trek is people in rooms having hard conversations and this sh- episode was exactly that the the climax of the episode is pike telling world leaders how wrong they are uh and presenting I, for them the options they i would have. S- slightly disagree with that okay he's not telling them how wrong they are well, i think right. he's highlighting what they've done and then comparing it to what his planet had done, which I think is like a great political statement also, by the way, a reflection of us as a society and saying, do you possibly want what we've done that almost destroyed us to happen to you or your people? Or do you want to take a better path? That's fair. I, I'm, I'm being I'm being reductive in that statement. Um, uh, it's a fair point to kind of push back on that. Uh, but to finish my thought, because I want to pay somebody else too. Sorry. Um, no, 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 that's good, actually. Because uh, you reminded me of something else. Um, uh, no, I mean, so so Pike coming in and basically presenting an option to them, um, and but having the impassioned speech, right? That's you know, Picard was great at it. Cisco is great at it. Um, Janeway just tended to blow things up, uh, but you know, Pike shows that he's also good at that kind of. Here is the moral dilemma. Let me explain it to you, and. A lot of modern Trek has tried to has made the assumption that audiences need to see action for those moments, and this is the first modern Trek I've seen in a while that says no. A good actor can carry that scene, and you need to have action to keep people engaged. And I think that was the right call. Uh, but you mentioned political statements, and that was something else I was really excited to see: is that original Star Trek was for the '60s extremely topical and political. And it was nice to see Star Trek get back to that. 90 Star Trek dipped in and out of that. Um, later, 90 Star Trek kind of moved further and further away. But again, one of our favorite DS9 episodes was was extremely political. Uh, so um, it, it is nice to kind of see Star Trek just be like explicitly like, nope, this is what Star Trek is. We talk about our society now through the lens of science fiction. And I completely agree. Before before I lose it, I have to comment because someone is probably thinking, Eddie mentioned all the captains except Captain Kirk for speeches. I so I just assumed, I mean, Captain Kirk is definitely like, this is the guy who literally talks machines to death. So, I mean, he's kind of the, <laughs> he's, he is the, the epicenter of, of speeches. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny is, is there's, uh, I mean, we, we even talked about it before off mic was the whole, the, the captain Kirk Shatner tick of putting pauses 
in your sentences. But if you actually watch the show, that didn't happen nearly as often as culturally we think it does. Um, later episodes tend to, to, to get there, but it also very much feels like, crap, the episode's running long. <laughs> you know, kind of stuff. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but <laughs> you bring up a good point that a lot of the captains are kind of finding ways to take that trope that Shatner established and put their own spin on it. And one of the things that I liked about Pike is that um, Picard, Picard and Picard, Kirk and Picard both moralize. Kirk's much more, hey, you should do this thing or, um, you know, not, but please do this thing uh, because I think it's right. Picard's much more kind of, I'm willing to lay all of the options on the table, uh, but here's the correct path. Skis goes a little more, I'll blow you out of the sky if you don't follow the peaceful path. Uh, and Pike kind of in that same boat. Like Pike doesn't threaten explicitly, but he also absolutely like, hey, um, we're going to write the prime directive so I can show you the Enterprise so that you guys are like, oh, that's a really big ship. And then you'll use that moment where I can sneak in my, my, my speech to get you to listen. Yeah, because I was about to mention that if you didn't. like, He doesn't threaten, but he drops the Enterprise out of space for a group of people to see. That is... Right. I'm not going to bomb uh, you, big stick but I could. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I dug it, right? Like, um, There was this interesting... Like you mentioned the whole kind of weariness, and that was something that I, I kind of started to see in this, is that Kirk would have actually been like, Yes, Kirk vibes the prime directive a lot, but he at least tries to uphold it. Pike was just like, I don't care. It's mm. our, the, the prime directive's already broken, so we can't break it worse. Um, so I Kirk? can sit we, 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 we can just kind of I'm saying, we just kind of jump right to this is I think the fastest path. Let's just go through the front door and just have this conversation. Sorry, didn't Kirk stun like an entire city full of people? He at least tried to preserve the prime directive as a result. In, Again, he's bad at it. Boss. He's bad at it. <laughs> that. Like a mob boss in the Federation is going to get a cut if I remember correctly. Okay, so when you're in 1920 Chicago, <laughs> <laughs> you do as 1920 Chicago do. <laughs> All right. I, I, I had to do that one. No, 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 totally. I mean, I mean, again, I'm, I. This is also the same guy who completely destroys civilization by blowing up their computers. So I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. He's not good at his job in that respect. But um, I, I dug the fact that um, Pike is clearly reluctant here. Like you said at the beginning, um, he has the genre-specific old man beard, um, the the I'm retired beard, which is great. Uh, he through the first third of the episode is like trying to find ways to not take this job. But when he does, he's like, okay, well, I'm gonna do this job to the best of my ability. But also there's definitely a kind of underpinning of what are they going to do? Fire me through his command. That I really dig. And I, I've actually known commanders like that before. And it oh, is really? always uh, an, an interesting thing to see. Because there, there's a fine line of doing it right and which side of that you fall on. 
is either great for the troops or something that gets covered up by higher, by higher command. <laughs> right. And with the episode, they had, I think, Pike do it just about perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it was also nice, though, to get like a glimpse of the private lives of these characters before we really get started. Because in the original series, they were already pretty much in space on the mission. And this is a chance to see this is what Pike's like at home. Yep. This is what Spock is like with his betrothed. Yeah. Yeah, the spring was interesting. How do you feel about that? I know as like an actual OG Star Trek fan and the, God, what was, it, what was it that Vulcans don't do something until every seven years or they go into like Ponfar. this? Ponfar. is this frenzied state. Um, so this goes back to how people remember Star Trek versus how Star Trek actually was. Uh, because there's this thing like uh, all people in Star Trek, they just don't have sex. And that is objectively not true. Uh, uh, I mean, exhibit A, Kirk banging basically every female co-star that comes into the, on the ship. But also, like, the first season of Next Generation, episode, like, three or four, Data gets laid, like, explicitly laid by a colleague on that ship. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot more sex in Star Trek than I think people remember. Well, also, regardless of your stance on Gene Roddenberry, if you know anything about Gene, you will know that sex is a very important part of Gene as a person, and that is in a lot of the work that is done. I actually don't know what you're referencing there. Uh, I guess we're not we're not explicit, but Gene's a sex freak, my friend. <laughs> I had no um, idea. Think about, you know how they talk about Adam West and Burt Ward and all those on the Batman show back in the day. Mm-hmm. Gene had something similar going on. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I, I may have fallen down a research hole over the past week or so because I was so excited about Strange New Worlds. That's actually really, I, I did not know any of that. I mean, it doesn't surprise me again. It was the 60s. There was a lot of that going on, especially in uh, more liberal Hollywood. Uh, but, but I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it the other thing that, that interesting to me is um, some of the ancillary fiction, and, and particularly, I've not watched a ton of Enterprise, but I understand Enterprise goes into this as well, uh, that Ponfar is basically Vulcan heat. Um, you know, if seven years, if I don't have sex with the person I'm connected with, I'm going to die. That's a biological imperative. But sex is still a part of Falcon culture from my understanding. It's just not a reason getting sex or having sex or denying sex are not reasons to make decisions because those are not logical, but sex is a biological imperative. If, if, if your culture only has sex once every seven years, you can't necessarily procreate. Well, um, obviously some of the fiction has gone back and forth on this front. Um, because, that one episode uh, um, of Star Trek was so iconic that a lot of people extrapolate a lot of things about Vulcan culture from that. And then it just came down to part of the reason why that was is because the way you could depict sex on television in the 60s was very different than the way you could depict sex on television in the 90s and go and further on. Uh, so, I mean, Starfleet is horny. 
it's just you can't get past that particularly especially if you've watched like voyager in large chunks like like deep space nine so i'm gonna go on deep space nine rabbit hole for a second um deep space nine they explicitly had hollow suites quark had suites that were unabashedly for people to go watch basically have live porn right it's it's interactive porn he's super clear about that um at one point uh someone breaks into one of julian's hollow suite things and he says it is illegal by star you know by starfleet law to interrupt someone's hollow suite session you have to ask permission to go into someone's or otherwise it's illegal you go to jail for interrupting someone's porn session so there's a lot of fucking happening in the holodeck let's just be honest about that <laughs> not even the holodeck because there's sort of an implied part for the uh the davo yeah the davo people that are there like mm-hmm. they're it's not said in the show but it's implied by the outfits they wear like what they're doing in reference to actually, like old west saloons there was the one episode of the davo girl who uh didn't read her contract and the the, the frankie uh basically said part of your contract is you could have sex with me and she didn't want to fulfill that so i mean that was again like it was not under the the radar it wasn't subtext it was pretty much text so i mean uh, uh they started to play with this with um the 2000 movies uh with spock's relationship with uhura and uh i i think it's a good direction particularly because all that being said spock is half human so he's not going to be as stoic as some Vulcans on this front uh and it just also i mean on top of all of that taking all that aside just from a movie making standpoint to bring is only on screen for so long if you want to establish basically spock has a wife and uh his balancing his life on vulcan with his duty to starfleet which is something that comes up in og star trek the only way to really kind of sell that to modern audiences is to have at least some kind of physicality on screen so i have lots of reasons why i didn't have any problem with that uh but i can also understand why some people would may have really jarred against that uh i myself i loved it i love the fact Mm -hmm. that it it's showing different sides of the character that we supposedly already have a reference point for and it shows how they're going to develop and how that character may change to line up more with what we have before or it could be something different and not only that spock has also had flirtations i think with nurse chapel in the og series and a few other encounters Mm -hmm. and that helps reinforce those things happening and i think even in the pilot we get chapel sort of giving him like a wink somewhere along the way right yeah, um, and I mean, I think we talked about it in our episode about OG Star Trek, but um, Spock is kind of the Kirk of, of Vulcans in the sense that he has a sense of humor and it is extremely dry, but it's clearly there. And I just imagine some more conservative Vulcans going, oh my God, he implied there might be a joke here. That, that rebel, <laughs> that renegade, he's out of control. His emotions are all over the place. He, he raised an eyebrow. What is he doing? I mean, so, I mean, I could see that interplay. So, like, taking all the Vulcan culture stuff out of out of, the, out of the equation, there's still the fact that Spock is, for his culture, pretty emotionally drunk. I'm really curious what your thoughts on Discovery Season 2 is going to be when you're done. 
and Spock that Spock's journey that also happens during that. Yeah. Because the Spock we have now is not the Spock from Discovery. Okay. It is a Spock post Discovery. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. And one other thing. All right, I want to address the the very ugly elephant on the internet. Uh, as I fell down my my research hole, uh-huh. I had the unfortunate chance to encounter a bunch of negative comments about the new admiral. Why? Because in the 1960s cartoon that he was on screen for like two minutes was a Caucasian male presenting person voiced by um, Scotty. And so they're upset. The character is black. So. And I don't mean one or two people. I mean, it's sickening. Right. So um, let me preface by saying Star Trek fans suck. Uh, If you want to go by, if you believe in authorial intent, which I don't, but a lot of these fans tend to, Roddenberry himself said that the cartoon is not canon. Roddenberry himself said these were made to keep the show alive, but they should not be taken as a serious progression of the original series. So, by their own arguments, that presentation should not be valid. On top of that, the reason why the voice cast was so small and largely white is because it was a cheaply made cartoon and all voice actors were basically the people from the cast and like one or two of the people and that was pretty much it. So a lot of them were doing double duty. And James Dewan did do a lot of voice work. Um, um, one, of his, one of the reasons why he was hired was because he had uh, a reasonably good uh, affinity with accents and voice work. So of course he did a fair amount of the voice work on the cartoon because he was, unlike some of the other actors actually had a range of voice manipulation he could do. Wasn't he also the only reason that um, Mich- ah, Michelle Nichols was hired to voice Ohura? Yes. Mm-hmm. So think about when shows are made is incredibly important before you come up with like any sort, I think any sort of comments about how it's being reinterpreted for the future. Right. Um, so it's, um, it, it's a bad argument. It's made in bad faith. But these are also the same kinds of fans who will look at Star Trek and unironically say, how dare you put politics in Star Trek? <clears throat> so there you go. All right. Had to talk about it. No, yeah. Elephant gone. The airball's fucking amazing. So the other thing that I really loved is that they didn't try to like brush discovery under the carpet. The entire first episode is based on what these characters went through. The primary characters went through in discovery. Mm -hmm. And that is a great touch off stone for to say like, this is where we came from. We've like addressed all of this and now we can go on like with the rest of our five year mission. And some of the discovery plot points may come back or it may not come back, but we can say that we've effectively closed the door from when it closed. Right. And it adds additional impact to the, what happens in season two that I won't talk about that, that influences planet to let them figure out how to build a warp bomb. Mm-hmm. I will say that, um, the show did a good job of giving me enough context to understand what was happening. Right. Like, uh, they made allusions to well, very clearly, Discovery Season 2. It's like, okay, I know as an as a educated fan, this is what's happening here. But 
because I came in without a ton of context, I didn't feel lost. It was okay, you know, there was a previous mission, it went bad, and this is why the situation is the way it is now. That's all I needed, and it gave me just that. You also mentioned that um, there's references by Pike about his discovery mission, and, and this isn't a spoiler for season two because it's said in this episode that he has some kind of time travel shenanigans. Um, and it's funny because I actually asked uh, uh, my metamor who, because uh, he's seen season two. It's like, hey, so what's uh, what's this about? He's like, it's time travel bullshit Star Trek. I'm like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> that is a good answer. I also have watched Picard season two, so I understand that this is a valid explanation. Uh, but I did like the fact that they were also calling forward to uh, the OG episode, The Menagerie. I don't know if you've seen that one where Pike's in the wheelchair. Uh, yes, I did because okay. we saw the pilot. <laughs> well, I, I we saw the pilot. A few star- I filled in a few gaps with my Star Trek since then. Fair enough. Because the Menagerie is basically where they just said, oh, hey, we have this pilot that we can't use. Let's just make new content out of it <laughs> and get an extra, an extra episode because we're running low on time. Um, money. But right. Uh, uh, so the manager was a great use of that. But of course, if you've seen then the cage, it looks weird. But anyway, the point is, is that the conceit is that he's in a wheelchair and they did a good job of calling forward to that of the much like Anakin calling forward to Darth Vader. It's not a spoiler. It's an older piece of media that we're then bridging a gap towards. And him knowing that is his fate gives some also interesting context for why he's so weary. Cause he's like, I know where my life goes. Uh, and. And watching him trying to change that by actively leaving equivalent, leaving Starfleet, but mm-hmm. having that obligation to the crew more so than the ship is what brings him back. Because if it wasn't like his number one, he probably wouldn't have come back. Right. And I, I like the fact that they're playing on this, right? It's, it's the ultimately his morality and his duty are going to lead him down this path. It's, 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 it's a surprisingly dark take that his desire to be idealistic in the face of that makes me like the character all the more. And this is all in like 50 minutes. It's a really good job of building on the foundations of both a show from a few years ago and a show from 60 years ago, touching on those lightly enough, recapping them lightly enough for people who may not have those pieces of context uh, and still giving you an interesting and compelling character to realize that this is a much more conflicted captain than we've seen since perhaps discovery itself. It, 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 it makes, it's interesting because it's, it feels very much a nod towards OG, but also it feels like it's come out of, the much more morally complex discovery. It, it, it doesn't feel like it's jarring with either of those, which is a fascinating tightrope walk. And they do a really good job with it. And to watch like this adventure, much like in the pilot, be the thing that spurns him on to like keep going. But for for Strange New World's pilot to be that I will try to do as much good and make as much change as I can before this inevitable event happens. Mm-hmm like that level of conviction and knowing that that's what you're choosing to do regardless of everything else is incredible to see. Right. Uh, David is likely going, but I want to go back to uh, character choices. Um, one that I was genuinely excited to see, and I think maybe five people besides me probably realized this um, was seeing uh, Mbenka 
show up. <laughs> uh, because he's a character that actually is in OG Star Trek. He was in like one episode. But he's a character that got a lot of treatment in the later novels and tie-in media. Um, in fact, um, I mentioned to you around Deep Space Nine that there was a series of novels uh, um, where they basically, it's kind of like Deep Space Nine, but in the OG timeline where they're in a star base and there's lots of morally complex stuff. Um, and Obenga is a supporting character in that novel series. And so he gets really fleshed out his time on Vulcan, his knowledge of Vulcan, of physiology, and his struggling of trying to uh, uh, still be a human while also respecting uh, Vulcan cultural values. There's just a ton of cool stuff there. He's a really interesting character. And so when I saw him, I was like, please tell me it's Obenga. And he, he mentions, like, yes, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> so it, 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 it's, it was a, it was a ni another nice draw from the the uh, uh, original series, but it's not a well known character. And because there's so little screen time given with him, they could do a lot more with him. And I'm I'm really excited to see what they do with him. Now, now that reinforces I definitely want to pick up those novels. But uh, since yeah, you're mentioning series for people who are interested, since you're mentioning uh, nods to the the OG Star Trek, what do you think of the temporary number one who becomes a security chief? <laughs> and, and her last name their, yeah their their lineage um uh it was enough that when she meant she introduced herself we we as a family had to pause and talk because <laughs> like wait a minute <laughs> that couldn't have been what i thought was said um uh but yeah it's 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 it's, it's nudian singh um and uh it's actually more interesting, but I don't want to spoil the end of Picard season two because it ties in that as well. Uh, they're doing a good job of kind of Marvel cinematic universe with the Star Trek stuff in the sense of they're letting all of these connections kind of reference each other, but not in heavy ways. Uh, but if you're only familiar with like Wrath of Khan, then yes. Oh, Noon Soon, that that's ties to uh, Khan and that's great. Um, why she's in that position is kind of also to a degree mildly explained by Picard season two, which like dropped like the week before. So it's a perfect timing. You watch the episode and then you watch this episode, which is the order I watch them in. It's like, Oh, that's a direct connection. But if you don't watch them simultaneously, you don't really lose anything. Uh, I mean, but, I agree what happens. Yeah. It's, um, it is an interesting connection of the next generation mythology with the original series mythology that I did not see coming. Hmm. All right. Definitely uh, worth the read. I, I, I will not watch Picard, but I will go read some spoilers for it. Yeah. Go ahead and just read spoilers for it. Um, uh, but I mean, the point is, is that it was, it was, it was a nice reveal because she's acting very clearly not like a typical Starfleet officer. And then you hear her last name. It's like, Oh, okay. I see what's happening here. And then they put her in charge of security. And I'm like, that's, that's the best choice. Yeah. No, that was, that was the right <laughs> call. But one thing that's interesting about that, it's a very minor point. Um, there's not really been a dedicated security chief position until next generation. Uh, there's a, there's a, a Mr. Kyle who shows up more often than not as a security person in the OG systems. And it's kind of implied that he's the chief, but a person who's just in charge of security of the ship 
that was kind of tacked on to second officer. So basically Spock more or less held that role in the original series. Uh, because again, the idealistic thing of, well, we could just talk to people and that will solve their problems because science is better <laughs> than violence. Uh, and I think it was smart for next generation originally to be able to say, okay, no, we need to have someone who's in charge of, of who's thinking security. And also Michael Dorn put such a stamp on what that role means. That's kind of echoed around other parts of Star Trek. So having a security chief in this show is nice because it makes sense. Again, we just got off a major war. Having someone who's a little paranoid and willing to punch someone in the face is actually probably a good thing to have to balance out the more ideological parts of the Starfleet crew. And to have I someone will say, though, that, from that lineage is also very interesting. I will, I will tack on to that with saying that uh, for the security chief, I hope that she's treated better than they treated Worf. Okay. Because every time they needed... To, this is even what I know from the few episodes I've seen. Everything they need to know to establish a threat, they would just have somebody beat Worf. And yep, it would become absolutely. Worf beaten, Worf beaten, Worf beaten. Yeah, Worf. It, it, amusingly, Worf did not become a really threatening character until he stopped being security chief, i.e. the Phase 9 era. <laughs> um, when he became more of an officer, then he actually became more threatening. But you're right. That is a genuine trope that is frustrating and a problem. I hope that doesn't go that route. But I think they've done a good job of establishing through this episode that she's probably going to take some shortcuts. Um, and that may offset some of that. So then let's let's actually talk about the rest of the crew. Um, what do you think of the helm? As I don't remember the... Ortega, Ortegas? Thank you. Um, she seems cool. Uh, um, I found out through research that uh, in the original Star Trek pitch, um, Sulu was actually going to be a character called Jose Ortegas. So it's apparently a nod towards that. Very which is cool. nice. Um, uh, I'm but yeah, saving no, she, one person for last, by the way. Yeah. No, you know who I'm she, saving she, for last. She seems cool. Um, I, I didn't see much of her, but I think she has the kind of cocky pilot vibe that later Sulu had, which I think will be a nice touch. Uh, weapons console. I don't even know if they mentioned her name. If they did, I don't remember it. Um, I'm checking the list now. Because I think a, a lot of these were like quick cameo, like little snippets of people for yeah. some of the secondary cast. I think it's uh, Hammer. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. I will, we'll probably learn more later. Uh, one thing I know, Discovery Season 1 at least, is that the, a lot of the um, people in the front of the ship were not really developed, but that, again, is in line with other Star Trek stuff. Um, it's really only next-gen that had really established characters in those roles pretty early on because Data filled that role pretty early on. Um, had so it, Sulu and Chekhov didn't really become stronger characters until much later in the run. How did you like Chap the new chapel? Uh, mixed. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like this is a much more jarring interpretation of character than people complaining about Admiral Robert. Uh, but also I, it's the 10 years before we see her or whatever, roughly 10 years. And they've been vague about the timeline. Um, but it's definitely several years before we see her on 
the original show. So I'm willing to see that character evolve into that character. Uh, but I will say she's definitely much more interesting than the original Chapel. And I also recognize that you can't really write Chapel the way she's really written because that's not how you write women anymore. No. So no, no character should be written like that. Right. So I, it's a case of like, I see why they made the choice. Um, and I can see why they kind of went the direction they went in. Uh, but I think I have to, I think it needs another couple episodes for me to, to see where they're going with it first before I can make a final ruling on that. I was somewhat endeared by like the, the quip about, okay, then you just pulled a rocket ship. Like that is what, yeah. I, ah, I love that part. No, I, I did like that. Uh, I, I like the fact that she stood up for her expertise. Um, one thing that was not clear in the episodes I found through research is that she is a civilian, which helped give me a lot of context for how she acted. Wow. Very interesting. Huh. Right. See, now when I had that piece, I was like, okay, now I kind of get it. Cause like, she's acting real fast and loose for a military officer, even in Starfleet. Um, but, oh, she's a civilian. Okay. That actually makes more sense for me. I like that a lot better actually, because in a lot of different services, you have a lot of contractors that are working side by side with different military and they operate under a somewhat different rules than what the military does. So yeah, that I like that character even more now. Well, the other thing that was bugging me was like, why is she a nurse when she's clearly so knowledgeable? But if she's a, a civilian, then maybe it's a case of, okay, we have to give you some kind of rank. Here it is. Ah, uh, uh, Kirk. How'd you like Kirk? I didn't see him. So there you go. He was Kirk showed up. I didn't see him. George Where Kirk, George Kirk showed up. Oh, you, George. Kirk. Kirk. Ah, okay. All right. uh, bastard. Which uh, I found out though. George Kirk actually showed up in the OG series. I did not know that. Uh, oh God, I must've missed that. Oh, uh, well in the original series, George Kirk was a dead body that Shatner played. Okay. Right. All right. <laughs> Rabbit <laughs> hole <laughs> research. <laughs> right, but yes, okay. That, now that you mentioned it, right, that was his, that's his brother, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. I thought that was a great running gag throughout the whole episode. Kirk, Kirk, it, Kirk can't be here yet. James isn't supposed to show up. George. Right, and it's like, oh, George. Yeah, no, no, that, that's right. Um, because I was confused because um, apparently James is supposed to show up in the next season of Strange New Worlds, which I'm not at all excited about. I would have rather had maybe like two seasons already just with his crew before we start introducing like new characters in that and starts moving the timeline closer to where we lose Pike. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and last, but most certainly not least, what I've been waiting for, how did you like the new Uhura? I love her. I am glad they kept all of the retcon stuff from the movies of her being a linguistics person. Um, and so it gives her role much more meaning. Something I, a lot of people talk shit about the J.J. Abrams movies, but that's one of the things I thought was really good about them is that Ohura has a very clear role in this crew that was not at all clear in the original show. Because yeah, really, her role in the original show is she answers the telephone. Um, but this, you know, she's a linguistics person. She understands kind of uh, alien language. Um, and also, she is a cadet. And I like the fact that she actually acts like a cadet. Right, she's like, I'm just excited to be here, and I'm going to try to do good things. And I occasionally, I'm going to get into a conversation with this person who turns out I probably shouldn't be having a conversation with, but that's okay. That, I'm just excited. No, to be that here. was beautiful and brilliant. Like yeah. that for me, that's what shows like the not only her incredible skills, but like the genius, of the character that 
this is like contact with a new life form aboard ship and using all of her training to know that I need to make this person at ease. I already know about your yep. culture, mm -hmm. so we can talk about this thing that's a touch point for you, so you'll become more calm. And I know that the rest of the crew, when we get off the get off of the elevator, will be there to resolve the situation. And that made it perfect. No, it was it was a great because like the way it was cut, it was a brilliant balance. It was written straight. This is a woman who's very skilled at her job, implementing her job well. It was cut like it was a comedy bit. Because it was went from a line of something along the lines of like, you know, you know, we need to contain this person, make sure you contact the crew, and you cut to her talking to him. So it was a great comedic bit, but she was not played for comedy. She was not played as dumb or unskilled. Um, but she, it, it was initially unclear if she was perhaps being naive. And then as it unfolded, it seemed like she actually probably knew what she was doing, which is cool. It was a great bit of ambiguity. And I think that helped sell her better than just having her be fully competent from the start. It's the, the audience is unsure. And then she gets a chance to show off her skills. Okay, no. So now I buy her as an extremely talented cadet, best of her class being on the flagship uh, starship. I, 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 I completely buy that now. And I also love the fact that again, with all of this, hyper modern technology and people could talk through hollow projection and whatnot, but she still has this huge chunky ass earpiece. In her ear. I just, I, I love that. And I guess we should start trying to wrap up as it's just one episode. I think we go on for another hour, but um, one of my favorite parts about the entire show is already the chemistry between the cast. You have, it has mm -hmm. a very lived in feeling like the relationship between Pike and Mbanka. Mbanka. Is that how you pronounce his name? Mbanka. Mbanka. And like that, then you have Chapel and him doing that. And even as Uhura sort of comes in, that welcoming that like you're already coming into like a family mm -hmm. and it feels good. Like, I guess that is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, for me, it, uh, I was concerned because this was pitched as uh, basically a way to get back to classic Trek. And well, obviously I like classic Trek. I was worried that there would be no way to do that well in a modern setting because as much as I've defended the JJ Abrams films, they clearly were not the right direction for them. And this felt like all of the bits I remember of classic Trek without actually being bogged down with the decisions of that. Um, like you said, it, it felt like a group of, a, a group of found family, but also a group of professionals doing their job well. That, that competency point we've talked about in past episodes. Um, there was definitely a strong that. Um, Pike is obviously the center of the show, but he is not the only protagonist. Uh, there are lots of other characters that I want to follow. Um, something that I feel like Discovery First Assistant, first season kind of dropped the ball with a bit, but I, I having now watched the full season, I understand why they went through actually did. Um, uh, this is not trying to deconstruct tropes. They've already done that with Discovery and to a, a later uh, larger degree Picard. It's the, okay, now let's rebuild them into what modern television looks like. And so it was, it was a 45 minute episode. There's ongoing subplots, but the actual plot was resolved in one episode. This was returned to that kind of episodic television. Um, the sets look cool. The outfits are a nice blend of modern looking and not the original stuff. Uh, and you're right. The characters are 
competent enough that they feel like they're part of that utopic vision of the original show, but also interesting enough that they're going to bounce off each other in compelling ways that are, will make for good character development. And just to sort of pick up on something that you mentioned, since it's literally the crux of my work that I didn't even think about while I was watching it, but hearing you say it probably makes me understand why I'm so excited about the show is that it takes the concept that was there after it's been deconstructed and rebuilding it into something more inclusive for everyone, mm -hmm. keeping mm -hmm. like the spirit of the original thing, but putting it in a modern vessel to go forward with. That's going to make everything later better. Absolutely. It is the best parts version of the original Star Trek show. Um, do you have any other comments or anything about the show? Uh, I, I think we kind of uh, covered everything. Um, uh, uh, like you said, I mean, there, there are some things that are a little different from the original stuff. I strongly believe that canon is meant to be a tool, not a straight jacket. And I'm glad that they're following that route. There's just enough canon to make it feel like it's part of the original material, but it's not beholden to it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, this is definitely a show I'm excited to watch uh, week to week. And I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. So um, for folks who are curious, we may do a couple more of these. We may not. It really depends on time and scheduling. And if we do, there's no telling how long they'll be because it's going to be one episode that we're discussing instead of uh, a series. But we're just really excited about this one. Yeah, absolutely. So, Eddie, if people are looking for you online and out in the world, where can they find you? Don't give your home address, though. Uh, well, okay. Um, in that case, I suppose if you're not going to stalk me at my house, um, uh, you can currently find me on Twitter at uh, Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find me on the Darker Hue uh, Discord. Um, right now, I'm currently uh, raving about the DC Infinite app, uh, which I've just subscribed to. Um, and uh, you can find the rest of my work at uh, Pugsteady.com. If folks are looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at Darker underscore Hue. You can find me in the Dark Hue Discord. Uh, I will not give you my address to stalk me. And <laughs> as I don't know what we're going to do next, uh, I guess I will wrap out. Uh, Chief Webb, hit it. Engage. Engage.